in our last episode. Berger and his gang members confessed to numerous crimes and murders that had taken place over the years at their hands, including the gruesome killing of an innocent witness, Ethel Price. As the murders were confessed and Southern Illinois was shaken to its core, Berger attentively watched the trial's outcomes, aware of his own precarious fate. A Night of Another Sort Prohibition Days and Charlie Berger by Gary Deniel Chapter 26 Oral and Ural Gowan On June 30th, 1927, in Marion, the jury was finally chosen to hear the evidence against and determine the fate of the two men accused of killing Ward Casey Jones. A unit at last. These twelve good and lawful men the following day heard Arlie O. Boswell in his opening statement promise to prove that Ward Jones had been shot at Shady Rest by Rado Milich and Ural Gowan, that after being tortured and beaten, the victim was driven to the North Fork Creek, just east of Equality, and there thrown from the bridge. Two days later, a young black man named Alvin Woods happened to find the body. The court-appointed attorney for Gowan, Judge R.T. Cook, opened for the defense by stating that the evidence would show his client took no part in the killing. Attorney J.H. Clayton, appointed by the court to represent Millich, agreed with his calling that Gowan was guiltless, and admitted that his own client had indeed killed Jones, but only after the latter had commenced firing at him with a machine gun. Then began the parade of Shady Rest alumni. From the penitentiary at Menard came Danny Brown, one-time bartender at Shady Rest and former cellmate of Millich. Brown stated that Ural Gowan told him of an argument Jones and Millich had as to who would be in charge of the cabin while Berger was away on business in St. Louis. This argument ended in gunfire and the wounding of Jones. Gowan then finished him with two bullets. He and Millich dragged the body down to the dog pit and wrapped it in an old army blanket. The following night, at Berger's orders, the earthly remains of Ward Casey Jones were loaded in a car and driven to a watery grave in Gallatin County. Brown was followed to the stand by his friend Clarence Roan, one of the three who were originally indicted. Roan's case had been null-prossed on June 29th, after he agreed to turn state's evidence. At the time of the shooting, he said, he was at the barbecue stand. Later, as he and Gowan were walking to the cabin, he heard his companion say, We killed Casey Jones. Continued Roan, well, I didn't believe him, and he took me over there and I saw the blood. I saw a tree where Gowan told me a bullet struck after passing through the body of Jones. He said he also saw where a bullet nicked a concrete walk. Gowan said they dragged Jones back to the cabin. Casey wasn't dead yet, and Gowan said he fired one or more shots into Jones and Rado fired another. Then he told me they took Jones down close to a quality in a Lincoln sedan. He said he drove the car and that they were lucky not to have turned over the car when they collided with another machine on the way to equality. Ray Hyland testified that shortly after the shooting, the two defendants and Steve George arrived at Berger's home in Harrisburg, where Hyland was staying. Prior to the shooting, Millich told him, an argument broke out between Jones and himself. After Jones threatened him, guns were drawn but were put away. 
But when Jones went to the cabin to pack his clothes, Millich followed. Highland continued. Millich said they went down there to see that Ward did not take anything that didn't belong to him. They got in an argument there, he said, and they killed him. Perhaps more than the others, these jurors were prepared to believe Harry Thomason, if only because of his recent revelations concerning the Adams killing. He had told the truth once. They had no reason to believe he would not tell it again. Like the previous witnesses, he had not actually seen the shooting of Jones, having been in the barbecue stand at the time. But upon hearing the shots, he had run to where Jones lay face downward and dying. Above the groaning man stood Ural Gowan with Jones's machine gun in his hand. Rado Millich stood nearby. The last thing Thomason said he saw as he and the others walked back to the barbecue stand was Gowan and Millich dragging the body behind the cabin. Then there were two more shots. As dramatic and as damaging as anything the gangsters said was the testimony of Oral Gowan, the defendant's brother. He was plowing Burger's field at the time of the shots, and as he heard them, he dropped the reins and ran to the scene, where he found his brother Ural standing over the body. Equality Undertaker A.K. Moore had seen four wounds, any of which might have been fatal. One bullet in particular, he felt, might have passed through the victim's heart. Since Moore wasn't present when the body was first brought to his funeral home, greater detail was added by his assistant, Noel Flanders, who was there and who helped undress and wash the body. The seven actual bullet holes, Flanders said, indicated that of the four shots entering the body, only three had passed through. He was convinced that two different weapons were used and that the shots were fired from different directions. Neither he nor Moore, however, could confirm Boswell's allegation that Jones had been mutilated and tortured. A good friend of the state's attorney, Deputy Joe Schaefer, testified that on June 20th, Millich told him that while in Harrisburg, he received a call from Jones, saying that a parole agent was waiting at the cabin to see him. By the time he got there, Millich said, the agent had already left, or so Jones told him. Millich said while walking down to the cabin, he began hearing shots and turned and saw Ward Jones firing at him with a machine gun. Schaefer continued, He said that he saw Bert Owens throw down his machine gun and run while Jones kept firing at him. Millich said that Jones snapped a clip of 20 cartridges into a machine gun and fired it at him. Then Millich told me he shot at Jones with a rifle, firing two shots. He said the last shot, Jones grabbed his side with his hand and fell. Millich said that he was within three steps of the porch of the cabin when Jones began shooting at him. He said that Jones was about 25 yards away from him and that he fell where he stood. During a conversation he had with Millich on June 29th, also in the county jail, another deputy, Arlie Sinks, testified he was told the trouble really started with the death of Noble Weaver on April 13th at Heron. As Weaver lay dying from a Klansman's bullet, he was rolled by none other than his fellow gangster Ward Jones, according to Millich. When word reached him of the charge, Casey began making trips to Benton to find and silence the homely fellow who was tarnishing his reputation. His efforts were to no avail, asserted Millich, because while Jones was skulking in the back alleys with pistol and ever-present machine gun, the target of his schemes was in St. Louis, helping Art Newman sell liquor. 
The prosecution's last witness, wintry-eyed Orrin Coleman, took the stand Saturday morning, July 2nd. He testified that Ural Gowan told him he was a hundred yards away from where the shooting occurred, and when it was over, he walked over and saw Rado Milich and Burt Owens dragging Jones behind the cabin. That afternoon, Ray Highland again took the stand, this time for the defense. He testified that on the day of the shooting, he had driven Jones to Shady Rest from Harrisburg. Jones was under the influence of dope, and he was nervous and angry. He had his pistol between his knees and said he was going to kill somebody. I told him to forget it. I took him to the cabin and left him to get his clothes and his car. The next witness, Harvey Dungy, had motored out that day to borrow one of Berger's hunting dogs. I was at the barbecue stand when Jones came in. He asked if Rado Millich had come out yet. When somebody told him he hadn't, he threw a gun down on the table and he said, I'm gonna kill that hunky when he does. I left before Millich got there. Following a July 4th holiday that found the jurors at home with their families, Court reconvened on July 5th, with Harvey Dungy again on the witness stand. This time, he claimed to have additional information concerning the nature of some of the previous testimony. Only the morning before, Dungy said, Harry Thomason had admitted to swearing lies in Saturday's session at the prompting of Ku Klux officers. Instead of being repaid the favor, he was now denied visits by his own relatives. The motives and methods of Harry Thomason were set aside, at least for the moment, while Rado Milich took the stand. Under Clayton's questioning, the defendant told of receiving a telephone call while in Harrisburg from Jones, who said a parole officer was out at the cabin looking for him. He said that he borrowed a car from Bernice Berger and drove out, only to find the officer had gone, or so he was told by Jones. As he was leaving, he heard the familiar voice of Jones, Rado, and as he turned, he saw Ward Jones firing at him with a machine gun. I had a rifle in my hand and I fired at him four times. I don't know how many shots he fired. He had a 20 shot clip in the gun. A man can't count machine gun shots. I got in my car and drove to Harrisburg to give myself up to the law. I went to Berger's house and Mrs. Berger said she would notify Charlie. Millich also testified that previous to the shootings, Jones had made several threats against his life. After getting the witness to state for the record that Euro Gowan had not shot Jones, Gowan's attorney was reminded by Millich that a certain question had been omitted. Rather than phrase it himself, Cook instructed the witness to speak directly to the jury. Bert Owens was coming behind me with Jones, but when the shooting started, he dropped his gun and ran. The final witness presented by the defense was Euro Gowan. Not yet 20, an orphan since early youth, the slender Gowan seemed, in both dress and demeanor, more at home with a plow than a machine gun. Along with his brother Oral, he had tended a truck patch for Burger near Shady Rest, and between chores ran off homebrew, all for a salary of $10 a week. Hearing shots near the cabin while he was toting a case of homebrew to the barbecue stand, Gowan said he turned in time to see Ward Jones fall. After that, he never saw the man again. He said Steve George, Millich, and himself were present. Neither Harry Thomason nor Ernest Blue was there, as Thomason had testified. And concerning that testimony, Gowan said that the night before his appearance in court, he had heard a clearly disgusted Harry Thomason mumbling aloud in another cell of the Marion Jail. He said it was funny to him that he would be brought down here to testify to a lot of lies and then get a dirty deal. He said something about his folks not getting to see him. 
Under Boswell's cross-examination, Gowan denied telling Orrin Coleman that Jones fell on the concrete in front of the cabin, or that he had pointed to the pool of blood from the fallen man near the cabin walk, or that after shooting Jones with the rifle, Millich laid the weapon down and finished the job with a revolver. But Boswell pressed hard. You drove Charlie Berger's Lincoln sedan with the body of Ward Jones in it, and helped dump the body into North Fork Creek near Equality, didn't you? No, sir. Didn't you carry a pistol at the time Jones was killed? No, sir. Final witness for the defense was former jailer A.L. Bradley. He testified that Thomason had used the alias Jimmy Madison while in the Marion Jail months before. To counter potentially damning testimony that Thomason had admitted to lying on the witness stand, the prosecution called Deputy Joe Schaefer, Deputy Arlie Sinks, and the jailer G.W. Wash Sisney, all of whom stated that Thomason had not recanted his story. Final arguments began late on the afternoon of July 5th. Directing an attack at the state's witnesses, Judge Cook declared, Highland denied his story. Thomason wants out. He admitted that he lied on the witness stand. How, gentlemen, would you convict a mangy, stumped-tail, three-legged dog on the testimony of these perjurers? If you would, God pity the dog. Boswell smiled, but his own presentation was no less spirited. Coatless, his tie loosened. His voice brought to a calculated shout, he pointed to the defendants, branding them as members of an infamous band of marauders, murderers, and rascals. Twelve men, two of them ministers, watched his right hands slice the air and listened. The evidence shows in this case that all the defendants were employees of Charlie Berger at the gang resort in the edge of Williamson County, that the deceased, Ward Jones, was also an employee of Berger, that on the day of the killing, Ward Jones went to the cabin of Charlie to get his clothes, and while placing his clothes in his automobile, the defendant, Earl Gowen, walked up to the deceased and threw a pistol on him and forced him to throw up his hands, that Burt Owens, who is now dead, having been blown up in the cabin when it was destroyed along with three other persons, took the pistol of Jones from his scabbard and the defendant, Rado Millick, immediately stepped out from behind the car and shot Jones twice with a high-powered rifle. After he fell, he was taken by each foot by Millick and Gowen and dragged by the feet through the woods, a distance of about 85 yards, and thrown into a cockpit where he remained from about 2 in the afternoon until sometime the following night. When he was loaded in a car and driven to North Fork Creek, east of Equality in Gallatin County, and thrown into the creek, the body was found about two days later. At 12.03 p.m. the next day, Following instructions from Judge Hartwell, the jury retired to begin its deliberations. Fifteen hours later, just before 3 a.m. on July 7th, the jurors reached a verdict. Six hours later, Judge Hartwell opened the sealed envelope and read, We, the jury, find the defendant Ural Gowan guilty of murder in the manner and form as found in the indictment, and fix his punishment at 25 years in the penitentiary. We, the jury, find the defendant Rado Millich guilty in manner and form as charged in the indictment and fix his punishment at death. The younger defendant appeared unmoved, but Millich swallowed hard. One of his legs began swinging back and forth. Not until he was led from the courtroom a short time later, however, did he comment on the sentence. They didn't have no evidence like that. Clearly pleased with the verdict, Boswell sought out each member of the jury to shake his hand. Had Gowan received a stiffer sentence, 
He would have been more pleased, the state's attorney told a reporter for the Marion Evening Post, but quickly added that in a juror's shoes, he might have voted the same. Next time. You dirty woman-killing son of a bitch. You ought to be ashamed to ask for a trial. You ought to ask the people to hang you. Oh.